0: Well, good morning. Uh, like I said before, my name is Christoph, and um, I am the Minister of Youth and Families, and I am blessed with the opportunity to bring today's message. I would like to pray before we even um, get started. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, as we head into your word, I pray that your words would ring true, that I pray that you would help us to hear exactly what it is we need to hear this morning. Lord, I pray for the one who came in here this morning. Um, just exhausted with the world lord i pray that they would find your word to be a cool drink of water lord i pray for the one who came in here this morning um, just burdened with their sin i pray that they would hear the truth of your forgiveness god i pray that you um, would just speak so clearly this morning lord we love you you are good it is in jesus name we pray amen so uh, a little context before I dive in this morning, because uh, this, this message was actually written for last week's Sunday. Um, big thank you to all of you who prayed for me and my family. We have been going through what I am affectionately referring to as flu um, because it has been a festival of flu in my household. Um, from one child to another, to a parent, to a child, to another. Um, We are finally coming out of it, and I know that I am not the only one um, nor am I the only person with a family who is going through all the fun that is involved with that. But uh, So this message was meant for last Sunday, which if you can put yourself in that frame of reference, it was January 1st, New Year's Day. So there are a few references to New Year's Day in here that I'm just going to leave in there because I don't think we're that far removed from New Year's Day. Um, but if you're like, what are you talking about? That's a little bit why. Um, but uh, if you have been here for a while, and by a while I mean a couple of years, it would not be surprising to you uh, that I would be blessed with the opportunity to preach the Sunday after Christmas. The joke typically goes that the Sunday after Christmas is Nas- National Youth Minister Preaching Sunday, um, and so <laughs> I was lined up for last Sunday, um, but uh, came down with the flu, and so here I am. But it is a, a unique Sunday to be preaching. And this still is a, a bit of a unique Sunday to be preaching because uh, we finished a series. We, uh, we're not quite starting a new series. And so we have kind of these one-off Sundays where we get the opportunity to just go, okay, God, what is it you specifically want to communicate to your church um, this morning? Last year, last year, we took every Sunday morning to go through the book of Acts. Uh, which was awesome and then we ended that just about a month ago and then we embraced the advent season we had a couple of sunday mornings where we preached through advent and all um, that is in advent and i I don't know about you but when um we go through the advent season uh, there is just something unique that god seems to stir on my heart as um, the older the older that i get Last year, I could not help but feel the weight of Christmas season, the Advent season, being the season of giving. Like this, just the word giving, the thought of giving, and ultimately the fact that the reason we celebrate Christmas with giving is because Christmas celebrates the greatest gift we could ever ask for, which was God Himself. God gave Himself. That is what we celebrate when we celebrate the birth of Christ, right? This year, I found myself stirring in the thought of anticipation, Um, this, this deep longing and waiting that comes with the Christmas season. And each year, as my children grow a little bit older, their anticipation for Christmas tends to grow a little bit deeper and a little bit more fierce. Right, parents will go. Amen to that. Um, the Advent season is this reminder that prior to that very first Christmas, prior to the birth of Christ, there was this anticipation that God's people were living in. And this anticipation that God's people were waiting in, it wasn't for the gift of squishmallows, which parents in here will get. If you don't understand what a squishmallow is, it's all good. Um <laughs> But I learned very well what a Squishmallow was this year. Parents will understand. Um, But the people were waiting. God's people were anticipating the gift of a king. A king that would lead a people. And this anticipation isn't something that we just experienced. God's people just experienced over 2,000 years ago. It's an anticipation that we still live within today. As we still wait for Christ's return. And it's with this idea of anticipation that I want us to head into Philippians chapter 2. Um, Philippians chapter 2 is arguably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And you can ask uh, any one of the youth that have been a part of the youth wing for any sort of time, and they will tell you that I reference this section of Scripture all of the time. And I pray this morning that as we spend time in Philippians chapter 2, that God would use it to stir your heart, your affections, your anticipation for Christ as it does for me when I read this passage of Scripture. So we are going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and then um, unpack it a bit. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any... Affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is an incredibly powerful passage. And normally I would start from the beginning and work our way through to the end, but we are going to start from the end and kind of weave our way around this passage. Before we even start, though, a little bit of context. Philippians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul while he was under house arrest. And this letter is meant to be an encouragement to the church in Philippi. It's actually referred to, and I love this, it's referred to sometimes as a friendship letter. It's kind of cool. I love the idea of a friendship letter. And there's a lot of encouragement to be had to the individual believer, but then also to the gathered church altogether. And he ends this particular section of the letter with a super condensed version of the gospel talking about the gift of God himself, taking on human form, humbling himself to the point of death. Jesus paying the price that we owed death so that he would be highly exalted. And then he finishes off these last couple of verses by saying this in verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there will be a day, both in heaven and on earth and below the earth, where every knee shall bow. Don't miss the gravity of that. Every knee shall bow. There will not be a single person when all is said and done that doesn't confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. There are those of us who hear that and we cannot wait for that day. We live in that anticipation, that day where Everything is restored. Everything is renewed. Everything is living in right relation with God. The prospect of all of creation being brought into right right relation, recognizing his glory and greatness, it stirs up this incredible joy in our hearts. Our hearts long for that moment, much like a a child waits for Christmas morning, because there will be no greater moment in all of history. No moment will ever rival that moment There are those who are apathetic towards this truth. It stirs absolutely nothing. And yet still, on that day, that person will bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the feeling, I have to imagine, is far from joy as they bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. There will be a dropping feeling in our stomachs, in our hearts, as the gravity and reality of sin sets in. It be much like the prophet Isaiah, when he saw the Lord on his throne and his only response as he saw the Lord was, woe is me. And listen, if that is you this morning, if that truth does not stir anything in you, my challenge to you this morning is to not tune out to what God is saying. Because at the end of the day, we all will say, woe is me, when we recognize our sin in all of its gravity. But there will be those who recognize the good news and ask Jesus for forgiveness. And blessed is the one whose sins have been paid by Jesus. And this passage even makes it more clear that not only will it be everyone on earth who will confess Jesus as Lord, not everyone on earth who bows their knee, but also every angel and every demon will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is not a single demon on this earth strong enough that will resist dropping to their knees and confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And here's the thing, though. We are not there yet. We live in this already moment of experiencing God's kingdom. We get glimpses of it, but we also live in this anticipation that one day, one day when Christ returns, we will live in that moment. But we do recognize that we live in this incredible moment Where Jesus has authority on earth. There are recognized moments of this. Matthew 28 18, Jesus said in the Great Commission, the very beginning, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We live in the realization and the tension that death has been conquered, Jesus is king. But we are not ignorant to the fact that sin still exists. We still sin. We are still sinned against. God, in his abundant patience, has commissioned his people to live in the reality of his kingdom now. We get glimpses of his kingdom now, while we also are called to live as a light to those around us as the kingdom to come. So this anticipation of God's kingdom that we live in, we already realize it from moment to moment, but we also anticipate and recognize the moment that it will come. And this is the encouragement that Paul is giving in Philippians 2. It is the perfect encouragement for God's people to live in this tension of both living in it now and also living in anticipation for its reality. So let's unpack a little bit of Paul's encouragement here because Philippians 2 1 through 2 says this. Philippians 2 starts off this way, saying, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul in Philippians draws us immediately into the present. He's going to stir our hearts for the anticipation of what is to come, but he also wants us to live in this present. He says if there is any encouragement in Christ that is here and now, this encouragement is in this moment. Listen, if you feel the weight of the world around you, if you turn on the news and you feel the brokenness of this world, if you go to social media and you see people at each other's throats, we recognize that there is still encouragement to be had. When we look around and we go, it does not seem like there is much love in this world, we recognize that there is encouragement to be had. Maybe you feel the weight of your own sin. And maybe you feel the need to be the moral captain of your own ship, and yet at every turn you seem to shipwreck that boat onto shore. You go to bed at night and you wake up the next morning claiming that you will do better in your own strength, yet you continue to your sin Scripture makes it clear all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Drunkenness, envy, gossip, lust, pride, arrogance, gluttony, greed, all idolatry that tears us away from God. It is in our nature. It is our bend to embrace the things of this world as God. And in doing so, when we embrace the things of this world as God, we turn things into idols. We turn away from God. Romans 5.12 talks about this nature. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We've mentioned this before, but it bears mentioning again. We, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We have inherited the nature of our father, Adam, and in doing so, we participate in the brokenness of this world. But we know that this is not the end. Paul brings us back into the present He reminds us that though we have inherited this sin nature, there is encouragement to be had in Christ. If there is any encouragement, there is comfort to be had in Christ. The one who not only loves and gives love, but is the embodiment of love. And what is this encouragement? What is this encouragement that Paul is talking about? He says that his joy, Paul says in verse 2, his joy is complete when the believers are all of the same mind and have the same love and are full accord. So what is this encouragement? What is this comfort? What is this same mind? Well, Paul unpacks it in verse 5 through 8, saying this, have this mind among yourselves. Right, the same mind that believers are called to have. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The encouragement, the comfort, the same mind, the same accord is Christ, is Jesus. And it is the gospel, it is the good news of Jesus. If you remember, a few years ago, we went through the Gospel of Mark. And Mark starts his Gospel off with the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you were here for that series, you'll remember that we talked about this word, gospel. We say the word gospel a lot around here. We say that we are gospel-centered because we believe that the good news of Jesus is the greatest thing we could center our lives around But it's deeper than just good news, right? Gospel is good news, but for those hearing the word gospel 2,000 years ago, it would have this idea of victory. It wouldn't just be this kind of one-off news like, hey, your packages from Amazon actually arrived on time. It would have had this victory. It would have been like a, 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 a herald coming in on horseback going, listen, the battle is over. The souls of men have been won. The battle is over. Sin has been defeated. This good news, this gospel, is that God himself... Jesus, the second person of the triune God, took on the form of his creation, came and lived in the likeness of men. And though he never sinned, he took the payment that was demanded for our sin. God displayed ultimate humility. He displayed unmeasurable love for us. We sit here this morning and we worship God knowing that our sins have been paid in full. Jesus claimed victory over death. Paul's like, you want encouragement? You want comfort? Talking about comfort, nothing, nothing in this world will give any sort of comfort or encouragement like the gospel proclamation of Christ, Christ's victory over death. By the way, the person who's writing this letter is writing it under arrest. He says somebody who has been beaten for the sake of this teaching. Someone who's beaten to the point of death, someone who is currently in prison and he's talking about comfort. He's not writing it as if he just won the lottery or he saw his favorite football team actually get a quarterback who can do things with the football. I'm a Bears fan. All right, I'm sorry. It's been a weird season had to throw something in there. (laughs) Listen, Paul is preaching this encouragement through many trials. And he reminds us that it is Jesus whom we find ultimate encouragement and comfort. We can live in that reality today. We can live in that encouragement, in that comfort today. And live in the anticipation that there will be a future day where we live in a world where sin does not distort or stain our world. This, this church, is the same love that Paul is talking about in verse 2. That we all together as a church would be united by nothing other than our King, Jesus. Jesus. Not that we would be united by hobbies or interests, but rather we would be united by a king. And I worry sometimes. That we view Jesus through the political lens that we currently live in, that we have some sort of God who is a president or a senator or a congressman, someone who we decided to elect in our hearts. We decided that we were going to go to the ballot of our heart and go, yeah, that seems pretty good. Looks like they kind of tick all of the boxes. That's not Jesus. He's king. He's not king because he fits our agenda. He's king because he is God. He created us. We rebelled against him. And he decided to pay the price for our rebellion. He is king. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says that for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live to themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are of the same mind and of full accord when we live to our king, Jesus. We are not electing someone who is popular or well spoken but rather our encouragement our comfort our joy comes from a king and that is Jesus Paul says that we are when we are in this same mind we are then in Full accord. So if you're following along here, there is this comfort, there is this encouragement that is had in the gospel of who Jesus is. And when we find this encouragement and comfort, we are of the same mind, right? And then it says we are in full accord. There implies this harmonizing that happens of God's people when we live in a specific way, when we internalize and live according to our King. And that's what Paul, in the next couple of verses, then develops in verses three and four, right? So Philippians 2, three and four, then says this. It kind of moves from this individual to then these people. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I know we are already a week past New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Never too late to start a new New Year's resolution. If you want a New Year's resolution for 2023, if you want something to go, where where am I going to uh, build my framework of what I am going to look like this year? Maybe it's this. Write this down, highlight it, memorize it, put it in your bathroom, put it as the background of your phone, memorize it, whatever you have to do to commit this to memory. And then ask yourself the question, is what I am doing right now, am I doing this out of selfish ambition or is this out of humility and love for others? Because this is how we are called to live among each other, church. We are called to live as those who recognize our brokenness, we repent of our selfish ambition, and then we serve others as we saw Christ serve others. Our king, And what's cool is this also then connects to verses 5 and 8 again. You notice how we connected verses 1 and 2 to 5 and 8? Now we're going to do 3 and 4 to 5 and 8. Let's kind of put this all together. So we're going to read verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, watch this. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our king modeled it for us. The God who created the universe, everything, every corner, every star, every mountain, every creature in the ocean that we have not even discovered yet, he created all of them. He took on human form. He paid the ultimate price on the cross. Not so that we would just have a ticket to heaven, but so that we could live in the joy of God's grace right now and then pursue outdoing one another and serving one another and loving one another. That is what our king modeled for us. Not just so that we have this warm and fuzzy feeling on days when we are down, but so that we, the collective body of Christ, the living representation of our King, would live in such a way as to outdo one another in loving and forgiving and out showing grace to one another. John 13 34 through 35, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. Who, by the way, just going to remind you again, who? Jesus, God, our King. I loved you so that you would love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so truly, if we are going to be a people who are known for outdoing one another by loving one another, we are called to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And I know that that could sound exhausting. It could sound exhausting to to live that sort of life, laying aside your interests for one another. But let me tell you something. If we are all doing this together, it becomes a whole lot less exhausting and a whole lot more exciting. I mean, let me ask you this. Husbands, what would it look like if your posture in your marriage looked like this? Rather than piling expectations on your wife, the question you asked yourself was, how could you count her as more significant than yourself? Rather than looking to your own interests, but to her interests. And wives, instead of going, amen, amen. What if you did the same? What if that's what marriage was marked by? Outdoing one another and outloving one another and outshowing one another grace and outshowing one another forgiveness. Parents, what if this was our posture towards our children? rather than just seeing our kids as just kind of there to, uh, they have to kind of make their ways around our schedules and just kind of there to uh, do the chores that we've called them to do. But what if it looked like as you counting your child's uh, interest as more significant than your own? And in the same vein, teens, what if you did the same thing? What if rather than caught in, getting caught up in drama or in gossip That you looked towards those who maybe are bringing drama and gossip into your life, and you go, What would it look like to count that person as more significant than myself? What if I look towards that person's interests rather than just my own? I'm not saying it's easy. And it looks different from person to person and relationship dynamic to relationship dynamic. Counting someone as more significant than, uh, than yourself when it's someone who has abused you looks way different than when it's someone you have a healthy relationship with. I'm recognizing that. Sometimes it might look like cutting off a relationship and praying for a person from a distance to count them as more significant. But what I am saying is that we need a framework. And Jesus lived out that framework. He showed us that framework. We have a king who lived that way. And then died that way. And then rose from the grave and he is on the throne right now. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a little bit passionate about this passage of Scripture. This is why this is one of just my favorite passages I have been I have sat in it for years now. It so beautifully lays out our need to be encouraged and comforted from the gospel. That is where our comfort and encouragement needs to come from. It gives us a framework by which to live out the reality of this gospel together as a church family. And then we return to this idea of anticipation. Because we don't live these passages out perfectly. The truth is, is that we try to. We don't live it out perfectly. And we won't until Christ returns. But that's the beautiful thing, is we anticipate, like a child waiting for Christmas that day. God is bringing his people back to him. He is redeeming this world, and he is patient in doing so. And so we anticipate and await the day when verse 10 and 11 are fully realized there's a, something interesting, by the way, about this part of Philippians 2, 10 through 11. It, Paul is actually quoting the Old Testament in this. He's quoting Isaiah 45, and I have that passage up on, up on the screen. But Isaiah 45, 22 through 25. So I'm going to read a little bit of context with this one. It says this, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. By myself I have sworn... From my mouth I have gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue confess and swear allegiance. Only in the Lord shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. This is a promise, this promise, Philippians 2, 10 through 11, is not just a promise that was given to the New Testament church, this is a promise that God's people sat in and awaited before the very first Christmas, right? This was a promise that God's people were waiting for before then. They awaited anticipation for the day that every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow that God is king. And how did God do it? He took on human flesh, lived to serve others, lived the sinless life, healed the blind, took care of the widow, ultimately died the price that was demanded of us so that we could live in right relation with Him. This also is not the only time, by the way, this passage is referenced, which is kind of cool. Paul also references it in Romans chapter 14. That passage up as well, I think, maybe. There we go. Romans 14, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Or why do you despise your brothers? For we will all stand before judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. To God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. What's interesting is Paul, in both of these letters, in both Romans and in Philippians, he is writing this section, this part where we will all confess Christ to be king. It is within the context of brothers and sisters caring for one another. So as we individually anticipate and await the day when Christ will return, we have these opportunities to live within the reality of the kingdom today. How? By loving one another. By caring for our brothers and sisters. So if you are the New Year's resolution type, my encouragement, my challenge to you is that 2023 would look like one where you try to outdo your brother and sister in, uh, in loving them. Outdo, it, outdo them and counting them as more significant. Outdo them as looking to their interests. My prayer is that we would look to Jesus as king as some senator or congressman or even president that we elected but look to him as king that we would humble ourselves before him as he laid out that example we would ask for forgiveness of our sins and then we would just outdo one another in grace and love and forgiveness this is the encouragement that paul had for the church in philippi it's the encouragement for us This morning, as well, that while we live in this anticipation, as we await that day, that we would have, we would taste pieces of the kingdom in the here and now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth. Lord, thank you that we, while we wait, the day that you return that as we feel the brokenness of this world, as we live in this, this, this distorted world, God, that you lived the perfect life. You humbled yourself by taking on flesh. You paid the price for our sin so that we could taste the kingdom today. God, help us to model what it looks like to be people who live in your kingdom. God, help us to look like people who have a king to follow. God, help us to be a people who shine your light and your truth throughout Northeast Wisconsin and the UP and wherever we go over the course of this year. Lord, we love you, we trust you, put our faith in you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.